Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? One of the classic Christmas carols um, that is well known, some of the favorites around here. Um, that's been written in the last few decades. So Mark Lowry and Buddy Green wrote the popular Christmas song in 1984. Uh, The song's lyrics, they wonder what um, Jesus' mother Mary, if she could grasp uh, the incredible power that was held uh, within this small child, if she realized that her baby was truly the Son of God, the Christ the Messiah who had come, the Savior of all mankind. With lines like, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? I really want to break into song right now. (laughs) Did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? I love this part. That your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb, That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Isn't that beautiful? Awesome song, awesome song. You know, as I read through the Christmas story year after year, there's something that really sticks out to me uh, in this story that I want to get at together tonight. Um, But ultimately, I believe that Mary did know. I believe that Mary did know. And I'd like to unpack some things why I believe that tonight. And I believe that... She knew before the baby was born to the day she stood and watched him carry his cross to Calvary, who he really was. If you have your Bibles today, please join me in Luke chapter 1, and we'll check out some of these uh, details closely tonight. Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'll be reading from the NLT tonight. We'll also have it up on the screen. All right, if you're with me, say you're with me. Let's do it. Okay. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. The angel left her. So a couple uh, points I just want to unpack for us tonight about Mary. 
Uh, first up, just Mary. She was favored. She was fairy, uh, excuse me, favored. She was about uh, 16 years old um, when all this began to happen. It was customary in those days uh, to get engaged and married at 16. It was kind of like the 60s, if you know what I mean. But anyways, it was also interesting to note that Jewish, Jewish historians knew in that day um, that women would pray to be the mother of the Messiah. Girls would know the scriptures and everyone would be expecting the Messiah to come. And Jewish uh, historians maintain that young women would pray for that. They would say, Lord, let me be the one. Let me be the one. Mary's education um, would have uh, taken place mostly in her home. The boys, they were sent off to the synagogue, and Mary would be at home, but she would still um, understand and hear the readings of the Torah and of the prophets, and she would know all about this promised Messiah. She would have known scripture like Isaiah 7.14, written nearly 700 years before Mary was born, that said this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and she and shall call his name Emmanuel. She would have known this verse. It would have been a household verse for all Jews expecting the promised Messiah. And I guarantee you, young girls thought about it, dreamed about it. It would be a big deal to them. Almost the same as us waiting for Christ's return right now. They would be that expectant of him coming. You know, Malachi is the last book written in the Old Testament, and it ends with a promise of a prophet Elijah coming to prepare the way for the, for the Savior, for the Messiah. And after that book, there's a blank page in the Bible that represents 400 years of nothing happening in regards to people hearing from the Lord. It was just a 400 barren years of nothing from the Lord. And the people would have been building up, building up, waiting on the fulfillment of that promise, that next prophet to come that would usher in the Christ. Number two, Mary conceived supernaturally. You know, many of us obviously know that, but this is something that comes up all the time. And I'd like to just straighten it out for us tonight. And I'll give you a little example. We were at Young Adults one night. We have a wonderful Young Adults group here. About 20, 25 of us meet here. And um, there is um, a fella in our group, never been to church before, never walked in a church building, nothing. And he joined our group. And one night we're in the gym, and two of our finest boys from here are regaling him with the tale of the Christmas story. It was a beautiful thing. And I heard them from afar, and it was just going wonderfully. But then they called me over. And they're saying, because the fella said, you know, well, how did Mary get pregnant? And the boys, they were kind of scratching their head. And they called me over, and they said, Zach, doesn't it say that the Lord came down and wrestled with Mary? <laughs> and I said, pardon? <laughs> and so it was a great opportunity to open up the word and see what it says. And we know from Scripture that the Lord, the power of the Most High, overshadowed her. Overshadowed her. It's no strange thing that the author of life, 
the one who knows us before we're in our mother's womb, the one who knits us together in there, the one who knows our thoughts, how many hairs are on our heads, who knows the number of our days. It's no strange thing that he who spoke this very world into existence would have trouble speaking the Son of Man into existence. And so he did. And Mary asked a reasonable question here. She says, how can this be? How can this be? And the angel said, it will happen miraculously. And so it did. Number three, it's so interesting to point out that Mary was not deity. Deity means like God or to be God. And Mary is not deity. We see something beautiful. If you see... um, If you still have your Bibles open to Luke, turn the page to uh, verse 47 of chapter 1. After all this is happening, the angel visits Mary, and Mary visits Elizabeth. She's so excited. She bursts into song, and this song is recorded for us here. And she says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You know, Mary sometimes gets put in a place that she shouldn't be. We can tell by this song that Mary was humble. She was just a servant girl and that she herself needed a savior. And like Mary in the past saints and epistles, they all understood their great need for the Lord. They knew that they could only find salvation in Jesus alone. And they needed this life. Um, They needed him in this life and the life to come. She is not to be prayed to or to be worshipped. She was a blessed servant girl. There's something else that I want to look at that really sticks out to me the most about this Christmas story. And it happened in a little town of Bethlehem. And it's found in... uh, Luke chapter 2. So just glance over if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, verse 15. And uh, I'm going to read it in the New, the New King James, just because why not? <laughs> so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And then verse 19, if you can see it here, it says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She pondered them in her heart. Everything that has been happening, from the time the angel met her to Elizabeth, to hearing all these miracles of other angels showing themselves to shepherds, all this stuff taking place. And you know, Mary's sitting here, she's standing here in this ancient stable. She's starting to consider all this. She's starting to ponder what this all means. What's this all about? And you know, being a mom, I wouldn't know, but being a mom must be a really interesting thing. And there's something I'd like to focus on tonight, and that's Mary's heart 
and all this, everything that was going on in there. You know, it says she kept all these things in her heart. And what would that be? Would it be the angels, the prophecies, the miracles? I know that a mother's heart is a special thing. The connection that a mother has to their children is an incredible thing. They say that babies begin to listen to their mothers in the womb. I guess it's when they come out, they stop. But, (laughs) right? Lord, help us. Studies have shown that skin to skin with a mother and a premature baby literally improves the baby's health. And of course, it goes deeper. You know, people talk about a mother's intuition. They got the eyes in the back of their head, all that stuff, right? That's called maternal instinct. And one doctor wrote, the idea of maternal instinct is largely a myth. This maternal instinct of a sixth sense for one's child and what they need comes from intense closeness and deep love, spending hours with and thinking about the child. It involves seeing the signs because of a connection you've built with your child. Not an instinctive understanding of motherhood, but a connection that you build with your child. So what were all these things that Mary kept in her heart as she spent every moment with this newborn baby named Jesus? As he stood looking at her at that beautiful moment, I wonder if these scriptures came to her head. And as we read them tonight, I would um, encourage you to think like she would be thinking. Um, Join me in Isaiah 53, if you will. We'll have it up on the screen as well. Considering that Mary would have known this, it would have been talked about all the time, talking about the Messiah to come says this, Isaiah 53 in the NLT, Who has believed our message to whom the Lord has revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his presence, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness, excuse me, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cares that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. 
He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. And I'm so happy he did. You know, they say that an ancient stable um, was usually a cave. Bethlehem was full of hills. It was a hilly place. And many times these, these ancient stables, they were born in a cave, and a manger wasn't, wasn't like these wooden things that you see. They're actually hewn out of stone, just like a tomb. And I wonder if staring at this newborn babe, she realized that Jesus' life on earth began where it was going to end. I wonder if she knew. Just to change the scene a bit here in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 24, we just see something that, um, so Jesus has been born, and eight days has gone by, and they take him to the temple um, for, their, for their offering, for their sacrifice. And in their, in their days, it was customary that when you had a baby, especially a firstborn male, that you would come to the temple after eight days, and you would sacrifice a lamb. Sacrifice the lamb. And we can, you can check that out in Leviticus 12, uh, verse 2 to 8. And it states that after bringing a male child, um, yeah, the mother shall be ritually unclean for seven days, and then she comes to present herself with the lamb in a burnt offering. But if you're unable to do that, then you bring two turtle doves or pigeons, okay? And the thought here is that Mary and Joseph, they came and they only had a, two turtle doves or two pigeons. You know, they didn't have a lamb. And the thought is that Mary and Joseph, they were pretty average, if not below the economic standard of their day. They might have even been poor, for all we know. But we can see that where they're at, they were just lowly, humble people bringing in two turtle doves as a sacrifice for their firstborn son. And to me... That really just shows so much of God's heart, the family he chose to be placed into. You know, you can have all the money in the world and still be broke spiritually. You can be bankrupt where it really matters, having everything. But you can be poor and have it all where it really matters. Is that true? If you're here today and you have everything, but you don't have him, I'm sorry to say you don't have anything. If you're here today and you're struggling and you're poor, but you have him, you have everything. You have everything. 
And I just love God's character. It shows who he is. He chose this family. It shows what he values. His heart is for people. His heart is for people. Not for the people who think they got it all together. They got it all figured out. It's not for those who think they're righteous. It's for those who know they need a savior. That's who he came for. And you know what? We've seen in, in Isaiah 53 that he was, lowly, he was lowly. He was humble. He was nothing to be looked at, essentially, we see here. And his heart is for people who are lowly, who are meek and lowly in heart. This is the character of the Lord. You know, and we see just something that stuck out to me, and that was like, man, he, doesn't, he didn't go to the richest family. He didn't go to the most powerful family. He just went to a lowly family that had him in a manger, you know, such a beautiful thing. You know, people are the real treasure on this earth. You know, we were discussing the other day in young adults about, um, you know, to store your treasure in heaven and don't, don't gather treasure on earth where moths and rust can destroy them, but, but keep your treasure in heaven. And we we're talking about what is that treasure? What is that treasure? Well, you know, obviously it's knowing the Lord. It's having a rich devotional life with him. I also believe it's people. It's people. Man, uh, one day when we're all in heaven, that's going to be, we're going to be with Jesus. And the first thing after we see Jesus, we're going to be looking around. Who's with us? Who's not with us? It doesn't matter what we left behind. It's going to be the people that aren't with us. That's going to be the most important thing. Every single person in this room, we have eternal um, souls. We have intrinsic value. We, we, have, we are so valuable. It doesn't matter if you're the homeless guy in the street or wherever you are. You have that same value to the Lord. My hope and prayer is that we would continue to see people like Jesus sees people. That we would go into the mess and, and the uncomfortableness and, and, and do our best to shine his light out there and love people. Would we be a people who are known by his, by love, by his love? Such a beautiful thing. And you know what? I love how just like wherever you're at tonight or wherever you've been, don't think this message is not for you. Um, don't think you have to clean yourself up or that you've been through too much before God will accept you and do a work in your life. I'll show you what I mean at Mark chapter 2, verse 15. It's a great story here as Jesus started his ministry, exactly what he thinks of people. It says, later Levi invited, um, I hear the leaves rustling. I'll give you a minute to get there if you want here, but it's just a book back at Mark chapter 2. 15, it says, later Levi invented, or excuse me, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other uh, disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat? which such scum, nice guys, eh? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Man, it's so important that we're humble. It's so important that we never forget our great need for him in our life every day. Every day. So important. And wherever you're at, wherever you've been, Jesus says, just come. Just come as you are, 
and we can have relationship. Don't think that I'm not gonna, I'm gonna reject you and you need to clean yourself up. He says, come sit, I'm knocking at the door, open up and I'll come and sup with you. And I love this, you know, if you recall when Jesus was being tempted in the desert, was one of the things the devil said. He says, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And that's the way Satan approaches the world, isn't it? Hey, look at this stuff that can come your way. All you have to do is just give me all your time, you know, bow down, focus, you know, on this stuff, and don't worry about life and the big picture and, and death and all that judgment to come. Don't worry about that. Look at all this shiny stuff. Forget about laying your life down to Christ. Forget about surrendering to him. Forget about the lost they're messy, and you're busy anyways. Just do what feels good. You know, that's when Jesus said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And Jesus never for a split second lost focus on what was truly important in this life. He said, No, I didn't come for that. He said, I didn't come to get caught up in all this earthly stuff and gold and riches. I came to do the will of my Father who sent me, and I came for them. I came for people. For God so loved the world. In John 3.14, it says, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, but that the world through him might be saved. So why is all this important? Why does it matter what Mary was thinking? Because he wasn't just a baby. He was the Christ. He was God incarnate. He was Emmanuel, and Mary knew it. Mary knew it. On the hill of Golgotha, as Jesus was about to be crucified, a small group of people gathered at the foot of the hill to watch. And in that group was Mary, Jesus' mother. A.W. Tozer wrote, If Mary's son was not the son of God in every sense, then there can be no more hope for the human race. If he who called himself the light of the world was only a flickering torch, then the darkness that enshrouds the earth is here to stay. But he is the son of God. And that darkness that enshrouds the earth will be gone one day forever. Forever. Mary knew it. Mary knew it. And despite these incredible circumstances, with Mary standing there watching Christ on the cross, she was still human. And she loved Jesus, as all good mothers do. And on the hill of Golgotha, as Jesus was about to be crucified, all Mary had to do to prevent Jesus' death in that moment was to step forward and say, no, he is not the son of God. He's the son of Joseph. Don't kill him. I remember a night in a secluded place. Joseph and I came together for the first time. Jesus is not the son of God. But Mary stood there and watched her son die because she knew in her heart that the charge against him was true. He was the son of God. Mary knew it. Do you know it? Do you know it? Can you see it? Do you believe it? 
Have you put the trust of your heart and soul and mind in him alone? Just my final thought tonight is um, my favorite Christmas carol, um, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Not King Cole did it best, if you ask me. But One line has always stuck out to me. It says, the hopes and fears of all these years are met in thee tonight. Are all the fears that you have today, the fears of being alone, of death, of the world, of disappointment, are they met in him today? Are all the hopes that you have, the hopes of life and family and community and life after death and knowing him and the joy that we have, is all that found in him today, him alone? Is it found in his word and his truth and his promises? You know, when he came into humanity for the first time, there was no room for him anywhere. Will you make room in your life for him today? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to praise you tonight. Just thank you, God, for this beautiful story of how you came into the world, Lord. Thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you for not letting us just wallow in darkness and like, like sheep without a shepherd, just gone astray. Thank you that you supernaturally interfered and came down and took over history and called us, Lord. I just thank you, God. And I pray, God, this season that people would rediscover um, just this beautiful story with you, God. I pray that um, we would just um, cherish its meaning more and more, God, as we continue to follow you and seek you, God. We thank you that you are still the reason for the season, Lord. And uh, just pray for each one here, God, that um, we would all draw near to you and that we would be refreshed Um, this Christmas season by your word and by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.